Father God, we just thank you and praise you. Uh, we thank you for your mercy and praise you for the grace you are shower upon us. And it was our doing, our work, but your pure grace that saved us um, before the foundation of the world, that designated us as the recipient of your grace. And Father, we uh, boldly come to your throne of grace um, to offer our thanks and praise. Um, because the gift you are given us, so we are able to utter our needs to you and you will listen to it. And we have many needs and Yet you know our hearts. Nonetheless, we come to you because that's your will. And you greatly desire our fellowship. And may we hold on to this intimacy um, because we have become your sons and daughters uh, through your design. Thank you, Father. Um, Father, we have many uh, thanksgivings. We also pray for the trial, uh, this trying time, and for this nation and for this world. We are thankful that this administration is doing the right thing to right the ship, to uh, uncover all the evil doings that have done harm to this world and this nation. And may you continue comfort those uh, who are your soldiers not only uh, share the light, but also to ride the ship, make this nation, this world a better place. And we pray that this will be an opportunity for revival. Father, there are still many others uh, unspoken requests among us, and you know our heart. And May we focus on what's important, uh, what's in the heavenly, rather than what's uh, worldly, and that may distract us from focus on what you have designed for us. And uh, your grace is always sufficient for us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Lewis. Uh, all things work together for good to them that love God. Today we all have another privilege in addition to everything else we've had, and that will be to reach the end of this first letter to the Thessalonians. <clears throat> I put as our, uh, our title for today a quotation directly, directly from, quotation directly from, Chapter 5 itself, where Paul says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What an excellent <laughs> exhortation that is, and it's one of the final ones here in the letter, right? In everything give thanks for this is the will of God. Uh, so many today are seeking, seeking, and seeking 
to know the will of God and giving thanks is not in the forefront of their minds. They're looking for something else. They're looking for something more. They're looking for something that God actually uh, isn't providing in some cases and missing out on the blessings uh, that he is providing under grace. So, so this exhortation is very appropriate for our final uh, study here in this letter. Uh, to review a little bit, we've seen some significant dispensational contrasts in this letter, haven't we? And uh, certainly the central focus in the entire letter has been on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but not the second coming, so-called, which is the coming in judgment upon this earth and uh, the wrath will come upon this earth, but the elect of Israel uh, as a group will be saved, although many of them will be lost. They will suffer martyrdom and death in other ways, but uh, there will be a group that's preserved to the end of the tribulation and then ushered into the millennial kingdom, right? And the rest, of course, will be resurrected. So the, all those that had a kingdom hope, they'll all be resurrected and they'll all be found there then when the kingdom begins. That 1,000-year rule of our Lord Jesus from a throne in Jerusalem, right? So that's the second coming. But, but the focus here is on the coming of the Lord Jesus for his church, okay, for the body of Christ. Uh, that's called often the rapture. We've talked about why it's called that before, uh, just because the, the Latin word means to be caught up, and the Greek word means the same here, uh, to be caught up from earth into the air, into the, into the um, second heaven where we'll meet our Lord Jesus Christ. And all those that have gone before, all members of the body who have gone before will be resurrected at that time we'll meet them in the air together with the lord and then forever be with him uh, is uh the promise okay that's the rapture and that is the central focus of this letter these dispensational contrasts between law and grace and between the dispensation of grace and the coming tribulation period are the main doctrinal subjects being taught. And uh, from that, Paul is able to encourage the uh, the believers regarding the return of the Lord, right? In uh, chapter 5, the first verses there, uh, he indicates that the dispensational contrasts between grace and the coming tribulation period are like night and day. Night and day are the contrasts. And he uses those very, very words, doesn't he? Yeah, verse 1, The times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And then in verse 4, You, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Uh, therefore, let us not sleep 
as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And then he goes on and he says uh, uh, in verses 9 through 11, which is really where the, uh, the heart of the teaching is in this entire chapter. We looked at it last time. Uh, verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Okay, so the key words and phrases here are uh, those we've looked at about uh, the night and the day. Uh, we talked last time about the, the pronouns, you know, they versus us, them versus we. Uh, you know, those contrasts are very clear there. Contrasting those who live in the tribulation period with those who are living in the dispensation of the grace of God. So this whole section is very dispensationally focused. Now, what is a dispensation? It's the work of God designated for a particular time, place, and people, right? And uh, certainly... There's a distinction, he says, that's so great that we need to know it and never forget it. False teachers had come in and had uh, confused the believers in Thessalonica greatly, and that's why they were grieving as others who have no hope at all, right? Because some of their family and friends had had died unexpectedly uh, because they really did believe that the return of the Lord would be soon. So some time had passed. I don't believe Paul taught them it would be soon. I do believe he taught them it would be imminent, that there would not be any other prophetic events that must occur first. So no signs uh, for those believers were relevant. Signs were relevant for those living in the tribulation period, of course, because they were told they had to watch and uh, watch for the signs so that they could respond accordingly. Okay, but these believers were not in that situation, and so he points out here in, uh, in verse 10, and this is that dramatic statement that uh, we spent much time looking into, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. If you're still unclear as to the meaning of this, then you need to go back and read the notes and where all of this is made very clear. Um, the issue in understanding this section has to do with knowing what wake and sleep mean. It's not about those who are still living uh, or who may have died at the time of the rapture. That's not what verse 10 is about. That is what you find back in chapter 4. Different Greek words are used for this, and uh, the meaning is different. Here he's talking about watching. That word translated wake there in verse 10 is normally translated in the King James by the word watch. Okay, <laughs> So he's not talking about being uh, alive versus being dead. He's talking about watching and being uh, alert versus 
being sort of off track, not focused, uh, drowsy, as it were, sleepy, as it were, spiritually spe speaking, okay? So the gracious exhortation is that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has died for us and uh, salvation is to be provided at the uh, coming of the Lord, meaning deliverance from the concerns of this life, okay? And it ushering us, therefore, into our eternal inheritance with the Lord Jesus. So he says, who died for us, that whether we watch or not, <laughs> we will live together with him. Uh, that's the promise. Therefore, comfort yourselves. Okay? So the comfort is based upon the gracious promise of God. And uh, those living in the tribulation wouldn't have been able to uh, handle this kind of an exhortation because it would have been totally inappropriate for them. They were told they must watch and they must be ready. Remember the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew chapter 25. Okay, so that's where we were last time. Today, I'd like to move ahead to the end of the chapter, and uh, we'll see more, more about what we've been learning all along here, which is that God's work under grace is very, very special and very precious. And those that will not receive his grace and continue in the legalisms of religion, no matter how much fervor they have or how much commitment, they will suffer great loss. Their loss <laughs> will be the uh, failure to enjoy what God is doing today under grace and to be a tool to share that with others. What a great loss that is indeed. Okay, Our outline today is very simple. Such a great salvation under grace. Its privileges, its priorities, and its prospects. Such a great salvation under grace. Its privileges, its priorities, its prospect. That outline may seem very familiar to you, and it is. I've used it before, at least similar outlines before, because... Paul has organized his teaching in the letter in this way, okay? So we could pick a different outline that was very different, but it wouldn't be conforming very well, I don't think, to the structure of the letter. So that's just the way it is here. Uh, <clears throat> so beginning in verse 11, then, with such a great salvation under grace, it's privileges okay verses 11 through 13 i'd like that to be read <clears throat> patty would you please read those verses for us wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do and we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you in the lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Okay, the privileges are sort of summed up in the one word, wherefore. I mean, Paul is referring back, right, to what he's just written. And what he's just written is all about what has already been accomplished in our salvation through Christ, when Christ 
fully paid the penalty for our sins and died, therefore, and and was buried and then was gloriously raised from the dead, um, this secured the whole plan of God and uh, the dispensational plan as well. Many things had been promised before the foundation of the world for us. Okay? And what Paul has done is to reveal what some of those are there uh, in those earlier verses. So, therefore, when he gets to here, verse 11, he's able to build on that, and he begins to to uh, exhort, okay, uh, based upon all of that. So, we have privileges. Are, are we going to live in the realm of them? I mean, um, there are many general exhortations that could be made. He makes some of them here. Uh, they're very practical in their nature. And uh, really, we we have privileges to enjoy, okay? And uh, the issue will be, will we enter into them or not, right? God's working in certain ways. We can be a part of that, or we can uh, live independently. Uh, so that's what this is all about. These three verses speak of uh, how the the benefits of God's abundant grace flow, and they want to flow through us as channels. And so he says, comfort yourselves and edify one another, even as also you do, and we beseech you to know them which labor among you. So this is all about the community of believers, right? The community of, of believers. Uh, Paul writes a lot about the community of believers in Ephesians and in Colossians. He writes about us as members of Christ's body, right? With Christ as our head. And the, the members are gifted to be a blessing one towards the other, okay? And he says how essential each member is. And so that's what he's talking about here. There is also a structure. There are those, he says, that God has placed over the others, not over in every way. This is not a dictatorship, right? But there are uh, those that are gifted in uh, ways that, that involve the whole group and the benefit that can be provided to the group. Those are like the pastors, the teachers, the elders, right? And then there's the body as a whole, and the body as a whole is to uh, be a blessing one to the other. Others. So he says, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Um, Okay, so that's the practical, the beginning of the practical exhortation here. He might note those words, though, in uh, verse 13, because apparently there was uh, an issue in this assembly that had to do with the relationship of the members of the body there with those who were, in fact, God's uh, chosen ones. Um, and uh, 
I find Paul's exhortations sometimes to be just really amazing because you would think in this section he would probably say something about the false teachers because they weren't supposed to esteem them at all, right? Uh, and yet here he just simply says, esteem them which labor among you and are over you and admonish you. Esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. Well, of course, false teachers do a work that's evil, so they're not going to be loved and respected, and that, that's not the intent. But others should be. And uh, so whatever the conflict was over this, he just says, be at peace among yourselves. Okay. But I like those words, love uh, for their work's sake. We esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. It's not for their person's sake. It's for their work's sake, right? But they're not to be exalted as persons. Their work, if it's the work of the Lord, is the foundation of this respect, okay? So that's really the the uh, the focus there. I think it's a practically it's a very nice way to start this section, which is all a, a list of uh, exhortations, right? At the end of the letter, as is often the case at the end of Paul's letters. Okay, let's get to the next section, and this has to do with priorities. There really are some priorities that are very uh, very important amongst believers. So this is such a great salvation under grace, it's priorities. Linda, would you please read verses 14 and 15? Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Thank you, Linda. <clears throat> These words here, at the beginning of verse 14, indicate sort of a break in a sense. And he's now saying, now just stop for a second and uh, consider. <laughs> so he says, now, <laughs> now we're ex exhorting. <clears throat> I think this is uh, an even stronger exhortation and he talks again about warning. He says, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. There are four words used here that are rather different from one another. And the translation doesn't bring out all the meaning. It just kind of gives you the highest level of it. But I would like to bring the meaning out for you a little bit more. So you see all of these these dimensions uh, of, of the exhortation, right? <clears throat> and this is general. general. I think it applies to, um, to all. We're supposed to have the proper mindset regarding the work of the Lord in our midst. And these four verbs here uh, characterize that in quite a powerful way. So he says, warn them, first of all. Then he says, comfort. Then he says, support. And finally, be patient. Okay. Uh, warning. 
the the Greek word there means to get right into their minds. <laughs> really, just get right in there. In fact, there there's a, a famous book of a Christian. You can call it psychology. It's really a Christian. Uh, um, what uh, encouragement um, that's focused on this particular word means get right into their minds so, so you're not separate you're you're close you're really close mind to mind okay to communicate intimately so he says get into their minds translated warn here okay um then he says uh, hold them really really close with very simple words that's this word comfort means come up close and grasp on to the person in an intimate way, right? We're talking about spiritually, of course, here. Translated comfort. And then uh, holding up the ones who are falling. They're actually falling. They need support. They need help. They need to be supported, helped, uh, caught, as it were. They are falling, and that's translated support. And then... <laughs> to suffer along together with them deeply. <laughs> the word is often translated in the King James long suffering to indicate the, uh, the dimensions of it. Long, unfortunately, connotes time to us. And uh, it's long in time, maybe, but I think the I think the the larger emphasis is on the depth. Okay, macro is the Greek word there. Macro, you know that word. In, we use it in English. Macro, thumium, long suffering or deep, deep, deep suffering. So, uh, suffer deeply together with them. In other words, bearing their burdens. Paul writes about that elsewhere, doesn't he? Translated here, patient. In other words, don't don't give up. Hang in there, even if it's for a long, long time. Okay, so there are those within the body who are suffering greatly, and uh, those that are not close enough aren't even going to know <laughs> about their suffering because they're not going to broadcast it from the mountaintops, right? They're going to keep it private. And secret, unless you're close enough, you'll never know, right? So what Paul is doing here, he's saying that under grace, we have this in, this enabling, this empowering to actually be a member of the body, a functioning member to be a help and a blessing to those who are in peril and often spiritual peril, right? Often. Then he goes on and he says, don't render evil for evil. And I'm wondering why he puts that here. Uh, unless maybe in the course of fulfilling the previous verse's exhortation, you find a resistance or you find a response you did not desire. In fact, the response of the other person might be, evil because they may not understand your true motives or may, maybe they're just shutting you down or 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 uh, withdrawing from you so you can't even minister to them at all and maybe they're slandering you behind your back i mean 
evil for evil, he says, that's not a good thing. So don't ever respond with evil, he says, only with that which is good. Okay, so that's a nice uh, exhortation indeed, isn't it? And then he goes on. There are more here. Uh, Lisa, please read for us uh, uh, some of the what I always consider to be the, uh, the maybe the greatest exhortations of all here in verses 16 through 18. Uh, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. They are great verses. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, notice that three times here he says very clearly that there should be no end to these things. <laughs> so he says, rejoice evermore. It ought to be the constant character of a believer to be rejoicing. Joy, 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 joy. You know, Paul says in another place, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, right? And since rejoice means to joy again, that's four times there. Here, it's twice, but he says evermore. Okay. In other words, don't let it end. Don't let anything steal away your joy. You may want to say to one another in marriage or in family, right? When you see the joy slipping away, don't let anything steal away your joy. Okay? Nothing should be allowed to do that. So rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> Pray without ceasing? How can anyone do that, right? Well, he doesn't mean, of course, asking for this or that continuously, hoping to, to find something the Lord will actually give you. Maybe if you asked enough, Oh, there's so many false teachings in the area of prayer, aren't there? This isn't talking about asking for what we want. It's Whatever it is, it, it has to be compatible with what he's just said, rejoicing, right? And what he's going to write in the next breath here in everything, give thanks, okay? So this is not asking, asking, asking. I think it's quite different from that. I think it rather is an act of submission to the Lord, prostrating yourself before him, <clears throat> recognizing him to be sovereign. Pray with that kind of an attitude, you know, without ceasing. And the, the Greek word is used in that way. It's not, ask, it's not used in, in uh, a sense of <clears throat> making demands on the Lord, right, or in some way or other. Uh, trying to get God, the sovereign God, to somehow change his mind to give you what you desire. That's not the point, okay? Um, of course, we should never be given over to worldly endeavors and, you know, looking to satisfy our own lusts, right? Um, so we're, we're to submit before the Lord <laughs> In a, in a way that's appropriate, considering that the Lord God has our best interests in mind. And we're to 
redeem the time for the days are evil. I love that verse mentioned twice uh, in Ephesians and Colossians, right? Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Now, if we do not have the right attitude, redeeming the time means to buy back the opportunity. So the opportunities are slipping away otherwise, okay, into the evilness of the uh, satanic world system, okay? But the opportunities are there for us to enter into and to realize fully the benefits of grace. And that will transform our days and hours thoroughly, right? So it's our... It's our uh, opportunity. Uh, I said before, and when I put the title on this, I said uh, it's a matter of priorities. Well, privileges should lead to a resetting of priorities, or as we often hear it said, and it's true, rights demand responsibilities, okay? Responsibilities should follow from the granting of rights. Uh, so priorities need to be set based upon the privileges that we have. Okay, so that's what we're uh, focused on here in these exhortations. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and then this one uh, to uh, sort of uh, put the capstone on it. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, not just when things are going well that we give thanks. No, in everything, everything, do you see that word? Every, 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 in everything. Yes, in every circumstance of life. Why? Why do that? Well, because it's God who works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 so God's already focused on that which is good for you. Uh, or um, Romans 8:28. We know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Or Ephesians 3:20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Oh, my. <laughs> He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You can't even imagine how much God is working out on your behalf. Okay. Therefore, how could you possibly be asking for those things so far beyond anything that you could ask for? God is already working, right? So this is the marvelous uh, uh, realm in which we live under grace. And uh, he goes on now. Uh, and I'd like uh, Sarah to read uh, these next four verses in chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> how is God working in us? I just quoted from Ephesians, <laughs> where um, 
It says, uh, unto him he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Well, in chapter 1, he has said that's the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, it is the Holy Spirit who is dwelling within us, and he is constantly working in us, okay? And through us. It's his goal, okay? So he says here, uh, don't forget that, that it's the Spirit of God accomplishing these things, right? So he says, quench not the Spirit. And the the uh, the word there uh, comes from, of course, um, how one might respond to a fire that's burning, right? You might want to pour water on it, thinking it's getting out of control, right? <laughs> Or maybe um, you just don't want a fire at all. You want to put the fire out. Uh, uh, but he says, don't do that. You need the spirits working. Don't quench the spirit. And uh, he goes on to mention a couple of things. Um, he says, despise not prophesyings. Hmm. Um, and uh, that would be a natural thing, maybe considering that Satan is using false prophets, <laughs> okay, uh, who are giving prophecies and so forth. And we might decide that, okay, we have nothing to do with any of that, okay. And uh, that would be a reasonable response. We shouldn't have anything to do with any of that. But um, in this day, that remember, this is the first letter that Paul wrote, okay? It's written very early, probably around 50 or 51, 52 AD. And at this time, God was still giving the gift of prophecy uh, to certain members of the body of Christ, okay? And they were uh, prophesying, therefore. So the issue is um, be very careful don't just uh, reject them as out of hand. God is still speaking at this time through prophets, okay? And uh, in verses 21 and 22, he, he indicates that we need to be very careful, but uh, welcome those those uh, prophes prophecies. So he says, prove all things. That means test them. This is the word that's used um, by us uh, regarding... Um, Oh, experiments, right? Uh, uh, testing something with the with the goal of, of getting a positive result, right? So this prove could be approve, really has a pos positive implication. Approve those that are truly of God. Hold fast that which is good, and. Uh, Abstain from all appearance of evil. That, that verse is often totally twisted. Uh, but what it means is simply don't have anything to do with any form of evil. Not just the appearance of it. It may or may not be reflecting the truth, right? No, any, any kind of evil, any appearance. I think back in 1611, the word appearance probably is, was used for what we would call today form or a kind, any form or any kind of evil, okay? Just have nothing to do with any of it. And it brings us to the last uh, 
the last part here. Such great salvation under grace, its prospect. So, Lydia, would you read verses 23 and 24, please? Uh, hi, Jim. I'm, I'm going to read that for Lydia. Okay, go ahead. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is he that calleth you, and also will do it. Thank you, Lewis. Here's the famous tripartite, meaning three-part, reference to the human nature made up of body, soul, and spirit. <laughs> Again, false teachers say there are only two parts. <laughs> Here he says there are three. It does make a difference. We won't go into it now. But uh, what what this... Uh, what this does here, verse 23, basically says what God is doing. It's not anything about what we have to do. It's what God is doing. When he says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless, don't think he's talking about you preserving it. He's not. He's talking about how God is doing this because the next verse says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Who will do it? Who will perform it? It is the Lord God. Okay? Uh, this is not a focus on us and what we must do. It's a focus on what God will do because it is his perfect plan and will to do so. And then in those last verses, uh, verses 25 through 28. Sarah's going to read that for you, Elizabeth. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Well, Paul says, don't forget to pray for me. <laughs> he adds it quickly in passing. It's not a major point, but it's certainly important. Pray for us. Hmm. And he says something that's very practical. We have difficulty with it today because in our culture it's been perverted, but uh, not at that time when uh, within the uh, the body of Christ, uh, greeting one another this way was uh, an, an example. It was a what a mark, a mark of true and authentic agape love, right? To uh, Greet the brethren with a holy kiss. And then uh, he says, uh, keep reading this letter. <laughs> In fact, he uses extremely strong words there for that charge, charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Now, that's even going to go beyond those in the local assembly there at Thessalonica, because remember, uh, this letter was sent to them. It was a personal letter to that group, but others need to have the letter, right? So this is going to involve ongoing repetitive readings. Not everybody could themselves read, and they didn't even have uh, Bibles available uh, then. Uh, here, here they have a letter. It's the first thing they've received from Paul. In fact, it's probably the only thing uh, 
uh, only part of the New Testament that they have at this point in time. And so uh, they're to read it, and uh, the implication is keep reading it. Everybody needs to know what's written here. And then in the final salutation, which is the same one he uses nearly always, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Well, what will we say? Next time I'll say a little uh, bit more about the letter as a whole as we get into the second letter. But uh, today, since uh, time is short, um, there are many things said here. It's simple in its structure and in its content, but it's powerful indeed, right? Uh, the focus is clearly on the return of the Lord, right? And what Christ has accomplished and what will be um, finalized sort of at that point when the Lord returns and calls us to be with himself, right? Every chapter in this letter is about the return of the Lord. Every chapter is about the rapture. He mentions the second coming only in contrast, okay? Um, and uh, overall, I'd say that the goal of the letter is that we might fully enter into the working of God's grace in and through us, okay? That means we rest in the sufficiency of that grace. We enjoy its power. And may the newness of life just overwhelm us, right? Uh, may we be lights in the darkness that all may see. Uh, that's really the, the bottom line here on this letter. May the Lord God be glorified, therefore, for his great, great work in and through us. The next thing, the next thing, on our horizon, spiritually speaking, is to be what, therefore? It is to hear the voice, the call, and the shout, right? Into heaven's glory. So we can rest in his promises when we have that as the focus of our minds and hearts. Okay? Praise the Lord. What a great letter. I hope you've really enjoyed this letter as much as I have. This time through, I... As always, I, I come to see things they never saw before, and that's one of the great benefits of uh, going over and over the word of the Lord as given through the apostle here for us. So praise the Lord. Are there any comments or questions today? Okay, any comments or questions before we go to the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer? Father God, thank you for gathering us. Father, the desire of our hearts is to fully enter into your work of grace. That is the desire of our hearts. And whatever it is, Father, that would detract uh, or that would uh, provide confusion or in any way compromise uh, our expectations, Father, and uh, our desire uh, for even more perfect 
fellowship. Father, I pray that those things would be uh, taken away, that we would be able to focus clearly on what's been uh, revealed here in this letter and uh, what Paul has taught us uh, in his other letters as well. Father, I pray that uh, though the times we live in are dark, they certainly are not as dark as believers have often experienced before. That hardly goes without saying. So, Father, I just pray that you would continue to encourage us and uh, that you'd bless us and we'd be a blessing for others and uh, whatever the sacrifices are that need to be made in this life. Father, I pray that we would be willing to offer them up to you for your sacrifice through your son for us is so very much greater than anything that we could offer you. So, Father, thank you again, and uh, may you be honored and glorified in our midst. In Christ's name, and amen. Amen.